0: You're listening to the Weekly Wrap-Up on Sprott
1: Money News.
0: Welcome back to Sprott Money News. This is your weekly wrap-up. Today is May the 20th. I'm your host, Craig Hemke, and joining us back on schedule is Eric Sprott himself. Eric, welcome back.
1: Hey, Craig. I'm very glad to be here because I don't want to think about what the alternative might have been, so I'm happy to be here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and speaking for <laughs> everyone in the gold community, we're, we're glad you're here as well. Well, I tell you, and, and we've had such good luck with the gold and the miners going up while we've been doing these. We took a couple of weeks off, and look what happened.
1: Yeah, I know. I was thinking, we we got to get together here, Craig. You know, these are normally pretty upbeat type of things. We have all sorts of good things to talk about. hasn't been a good week so far, but I think we've got lots of good weeks in front of us. So I look forward to future conversations as well.
0: Well, let's start with uh, your friends at the Fed who threw everybody a curveball this week. You know, at the end of each FOMC meeting, they put out a statement And then three weeks later, you get the actual minutes of the meeting. Well, gosh, Wednesday, when we got the minutes, they sure did not seem to match up with the statement. What do you make of all this, Eric?
1: Yeah. Well, I think the Fed always likes to have us on guard, right? That they're vigilant and they're really watching things. They always want to threaten us with uh, rate increases. Of course, they always put in the caveat dated dependent and and or dependent on uh, foreign events and other events and uh, one of the... Governor's already said that you know if we we have to worry about Brexit. Therefore, it's not advisable we raise in June. But they, it's it's like they keep coming out, and one guy says yes, and one guy says no. And I wouldn't be surprised that when some guy says we're going to raise, they actually make things happen in the market to make it look like whatever the Fed says is important. But I think for your listeners, everybody knows that the I mean the Fed has been talking about an ex, exit strategy for ten years and nothing's ever happened. The one recently 25 basis point increase nearly took the system apart, and I think that it's all head fakes, and when we get to June, nothing will happen, because I don't think the economic data, or the international data for that matter, supports the raise.
0: Right, and you know, kind of left in the dust of all this is the fact that when the Fed did raise rates back in December, gold now is $220 higher, so maybe we should be pulling for a rate hike, huh, <laughs> right.
1: Well, you know, I think gold's just going to do its own thing no matter what the people at the Fed say because we are getting the world to sort of realize that what the Fed and all other central planners are doing is ineffective. And, you know, when you see Stan Gilkenhiller has gold as his biggest investment, and just this last week was reported that Soros uh, took a big piece of barrack and the calls on the GLD, You can see, and the G- Jeff Grunlack talking up gold. I mean, these are mainstream guys, right? They're generalists they're that are coming over. Uh, of course, uh, as you and I talked about, it, it was maybe six weeks of munich Lee buying gold. I mean, you can feel the, the change that's going on where people are are very critical of, of central bank policies because they're not working. There's no economic recovery. And this whole zero interest rates and NERP, I mean, it's, it's becoming... Uh, a serious misplay by the central bank, and I think it's driving people into gold, as it should. So stand back. It's going to get quite exciting. How many times so far
0: this year have we talked about how gold doesn't pay a dividend, and that makes it look pretty good compared to negative rates, and all of a sudden I'm seeing that everywhere.
1: Absolutely. And, of course, the beauty of gold is the cost of carry. Literally, the storage is so de minimis, right? It might cost you half of 1% a year, well, that that if you go to a negative interest rate, that might be better than paying some bank one percent. Plus, of course, for you and I, it's fundamentally the place to be anyway. And we can have these kind of moves where not only uh, could you stay up the paper, but hey, well, look, we made twenty percent this year. I'll take it.
0: Hey, percent to
1: have a lot more than zero.
0: That's exactly right, or negative five.
1: Or, know, or or go, or going to the stocks and make a hundred.
0: That's right. That's right.
1: Like a like a lifetime of gains in in four months.
0: Let's, let's talk about that, Eric. They, they, after getting beaten down on Wednesday, gosh, a lot of them quickly recovered yesterday. You were mentioning something to me before we got started that you call the Nortel effect. you want to tell everybody yeah. what that means?
1: Yes, it's a very, very interesting phenomenon. And you'd have to be a Canadian to understand it. But when Nortel became a 30% weighting in the TSX back in 2000, The reason it became a 30% weighting was that the world wanted to own Nortel stock. The world. But it's listed in Toronto. And as the world bought Nortel stock, its weighting in the index kept going up. And of course, by definition, the Canadians couldn't own 100% of it because everyone is buying it around the world. So it ultimately began 30% of the index, which was a joke, and as you know, it became worth nothing shortly thereafter. But that's what's happening to the Canadian mining stocks. as you know, most mining stocks, gold mining, precious metal, are listed in Toronto. And uh, as the world wants to come and buy precious metal stocks, they have to come to Toronto. Now we're in a situation where, and somebody gave me this data, and I'll just repeat it, that the gold rating is something like 7% on the TSX. But the Canadian institutions have a 1% weight. And if the foreigners keep buying their gold stocks, they now the Canadian institutions are fighting a losing battle. they just got to keep buying because they're so far underweight. And, of course, they'll never have the weight. They will never have it because of all the foreign buying. And I can kind of sense that in some of the stocks that I watch, you know, where there'll be a day when gold does nothing, the stock goes up 5%. Mm-hmm. You know, why, why would it be up 5%? No, well, you know what? Some guy's just trying to get in. And it doesn't take much when everyone's trying to get in and no one's trying to get out. I and mean, no one would dare sell a gold stock if you're a Canadian now because you're underweight your already. So that's the Nortel effect that I think will have a very significant influence on the Canadian mining stocks.
0: Almost kind of a virtuous cycle of more and more buying if if it continues, like a double buying almost.
1: Well, that's, that's the whole thing. Is As I said, Nortel begins 30% of the index that you can imagine. Well, imagine if the, the mining stocks became 30% of the index. That means they all have to quadruple from here. And and, and they should be bigger than Nortel anyway, because, you know, Nortel flamed out. The gold stocks are not going to flame out. It's a big business. So yeah. you could easily see that happening.
0: Wow, that is that is a neat thing to think about. Uh, I want to ask you, too, about what we're seeing in the ETFs. What, you've made note of this all year long, just this soaring demand. In fact, Lot, there was an article on Zero Hedge this week about the global ETF demand and, and the ETF inventories being back up to 2013 levels. GLD is up 56 tons just this month. What do you make of this?
1: Well, Craig, you know, the one thing that I always doubt, and lots of people doubt, I mean, I can hardly believe that they can actually add 100 tons in a month of real fiscal metal. Okay? Right. Because there's only about 200 tons a month that's mined. And yet we can see data that shows India buys, you know, close to 100 tons typically in a month that China will buy and through the Shanghai Gold Exchange 200 tons a month. Now the ETFs are buying 100 tons a month, and there's only 200 tons available. And so, uh, much as I love the ETF theoretically saying they're buying gold, <laughs> we all know that if you take two or three factors together, they all can't be doing it, okay? You can't have India buying what they're buying, China buying what they're buying and the ETS buying what they're buying and without there being someone not able to deliver. So I would love to believe they they actually are adding that physical gold. I'm betting it's a contract with the banks that they will deliver in due course, which, of course, is going to make it tight for a long, long time. Does it, does that's it, what we've always imagined.
0: Does it leave the banks with an incentive to try to push price down so that maybe the GLD will get redemptions and then they won't have to deliver that gold?
1: Well, of course, that's what they did in the... Uh, 2013, right? Mm-hmm. When they slammed it down, and of course, all the banks redeemed the uh, the GLD shares, and then they ended up taking our what six, seven hundred tons yep. by getting everyone to sell it off. So yeah, there is an incentive to do that, uh, but I just think the physical world is so far in front of the paper world now that to imagine it pull that off successfully this time around is very unlikely. Yeah, Eric, there's just and... too many participants.
0: Eric, in the time remaining, I want to ask you about silver, because we often talk about gold, and we sure. t- usually talk about the miners, but we don't get a lot of chance to talk about silver, and the, the fundamentals are tremendous. I was speaking with Steve San Angelo yesterday. I'm sure you know who he is. Sure. And, and he was talking about the global silver supply deficit that is continuing, and, but you look at price, and you, it leaves you kind of scratching your head. What do you, what do you make of this uh, as we've gone yeah. through this year?
1: Well, I love Steve's work, okay, and I've done work along that line before, and I've sent this nasty letter to the Silver Institute saying I should beat your data, as I've done with the uh, World Gold Council, okay? And, uh, yes, as Steve pointed out, you know, now that they included uh, private rounds of bars and coins, uh, voila, the deficit last year was bigger than we all thought. And, of course, it's been a deficit probably for 10 years. And we're basically saying, well, where did this silver come from? And it, it does beg the question because the productions uh actually probably gonna go down this year. Might have even been down last year. I'm not sure if it, was, if it was up or down, it's like one percent. Right. Um, it's a small market. Imagine if there's theoretically a billion ounces kicking around, it's probably like, gonna cost you sixteen billion to buy all the silver that's out there. That's not much in this day and day and age, you know? Like Donna Soros could do that, or Ben Dr. Miller could do it, or many people could do it. Um so I, I always look at the silver data. It always screams at me that there's going to be a shortage. it will be a failure to deliver somewhere, just like there will be in gold. And, of course, I think when it happens in silver, because it's such a small market, that if you get some money coming in, I mean, the, the upside in silver, I think, will be substantially higher than gold. It's trading at, you know, 75 to 1 ratio is the biggest joke of all time. Right. When, it, when it's purchased, like in the U.S. Mint, people almost, they buy as many dollars of silver as gold. Like, what a joke. Same dollars. But it, it's only available at uh, in, in production in something like 11 to 1, and the pricing 75 to 1. I mean, just absolutely insane-type numbers that keep telling you you've got to be in silver here. Uh, it, that it will have the bigger upside, I believe.
0: I've, I've often... Uh, stated to to my subscribers that that's about the best indication that you can have of the uneconomic pricing of the COMEX that it could that that ratio could reach that extreme.
1: Do you agree with that? I know, I totally. I mean, I, I love mathematics. Mathematics tell you certain things that just cannot go on. You can't have people putting that much money in the silver versus bull well, then have this spot uh, the eleven to one, but they they invest as much money every month at the U.S. Mint and Solar as they invest in gold. Now, how long from that? What if the whole world did that? Then the price should be the same.
0: You would you think know? so.
1: Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So well, we got, uh, there's lots of upside there.
0: Well, Eric, lots of upside of these conversations, too. It's good to have you back, and uh, okay, I look forward great. to visiting right. with you again and, and hoping to uh, keep our, our hot streak yeah. going here in
1: 2016. Yeah, Let's we'll, we'll roll 7s and 11s here, okay? I, I like it. <laughs> okay, okay well, great.
0: Have a great okay. weekend, Eric.
1: Okay, you too.
0: Bye. And from everyone here at Broad Money News, thank you for listening. We'll visit with you next week.